Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your co-host Hayward Evans and Eddie Rye. We have the distinct honor of having Congressman Hank Johnson from the 4th Congressional District of Georgia, which includes uh, DeKalb, Georgia, and DeKalb County, and Decatur, Georgia. And Georgia, as everybody knows, has been a hot spot. Uh, the All-Star game, is, baseball All-Star game has been moved from Atlanta to, uh, uh, to Denver, and we were waiting for something to happen with the Masters, but uh, that's not quite uh, uh, their stroke. So Congressman Hank, thank you very much uh, uh, for being here. And uh, I would like to have you really, our folks really want to know about what in the H is going on in Georgia. And uh, apparently I've been liking the response. So can you share with our listeners a little bit about what's going on? Okay, certainly it's uh, always uh, good to be with you and with Hayward. Uh, as you all keep it real in uh, Seattle and, uh, you know, down south, down in the dirty south, things have been kind of hot and dirty uh, with our legislature that just went out of its 40-day session last week. And they did a lot of damage during that 40 days with uh, passing uh, Senate Bill 202, which produces some very burdensome ID requirements for absentee voting. You know, it does away pretty much with drop boxes that were situated around Georgia so that voters wouldn't have to put their ballots in the mail. They could put them in a drop box because everybody knows that we were having problems with Trump's postmaster general holding up the mail. And um, so... You know, Republicans have uh, just made it more difficult for the uh, vote from home process, absentee ballots, uh, to to be done because black and brown people use that uh, this past election season. And, you know, Georgia turned blue when it came to uh, President Biden. First time in almost 30 years that Georgia had voted for uh, a Democratic president and then turned around on January 5th and uh, defeated two incumbent U.S. senators, knocked them out of the box, elected uh, two Democrats in there, and uh, that flipped control of the entire United States Senate away from Mitch McConnell. And so Georgia kind of fell right in with a national mood among Republicans that they're going to do everything they can to try to prevent what happened in Georgia from uh, happening again throughout the nation. So Georgia happened to lead the way with these voter suppression bills. You know, it closed, gave counties in Georgia the option of being able to close the polls or to shorten the day for uh, election day. Uh, you know, election day, usually 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., well, they've given counties now the authority to change it from uh, from that to 9 to 5. You know, so I don't know how many counties will take advantage of that, but you can bet that the Republican counties will uh, try to make it real difficult for people to uh, to vote when they're off work, knowing that most people work nine to five. You put polling time from nine to five, that means you're trying to shut folks out from voting. And um, and then on top of that, they criminalized 
giving people, giving voters standing in line uh, to vote during the hot summer, you can't even give them water or food. You know, it criminalized that. And so, you know, along with a, a number of other features of this act, but the worst part is that they took it away from, took election administration away from the Secretary of State and put it in the hands of the legislature. So those who control the legislature, the Republicans, control the voting process, and they've given themselves the uh, power to take to take over the local election. So in counties that are run by Democrats, the state legislators can come in and take that over, put their own people in, and administer the local elections, doing whatever they want to do. So all of this sets the stage for uh, 2022, when everybody's expecting Stacey Abrams to run again for governor, and they want to keep that from happening uh Raphael Warnock, Senator Warnock, is on the ballot again in 2022. They want to knock him out. And so we have these this law, SB202, that was put into place to uh, suppress votes. And, um, and uh, that's exactly uh, what they plan on doing. And as a response to that, Major League Baseball decided to withdraw the All-Star game from Georgia from Atlanta, and that has caused uh, the business community to recognize the fact that there may be a price to pay if you all support these folks who are taking away your patrons' rights uh, to vote. And I just noticed that there's a ticker going across right now that uh, Mitch McConnell is backing down on his threat to corporations for getting involved in politics. So he's walking that back. He said Republicans fly on airplanes and drink Coca-Cola as well, but he has walked back his threat to the corporate community. Well, I mean, it's the corporate community that um, that uh, pulls his strings. And uh, he does what the corporate community wants him to do. And, uh, and so the corporate community is, a, is in a quandary because now they recognize that they exist in a democracy where people have the right to vote, but yet they support these Republicans because Republicans believe in uh, low taxes and less government. In other words, they want a government that doesn't provide for the general welfare, just one that uh, promotes the free market and doesn't tax profits. And so, uh, you know, the business community supports the Republicans. The Republicans turn around and try to suppress the votes of black people who consume the products of the corporations. And when the black people and others stand up and say that this voter suppression is wrong, then it forces the businesses to pull back to send a message to the Republican uh, leadership that you're going too far, then Mitch McConnell tells the corporations that, hey, you shouldn't even be involved in politics at all. And then the next day walks it back. And so, uh, you know, this is where we are now. It's time for folks to put up or shut up 
and it's time for consumers, it's time for voters, regular working people of all colors to stand up and, and realize that uh, this thing is about color, yes, but it's also about uh, money. And uh, white folk and black folks' incomes have been stagnant while the top 1% make off with, uh, with more and more and more profits. The super rich get even richer. The middle class shrinks and uh, the poor get poorer regardless yeah. of color. And so it's time yeah. for people to stand up, start voting their pocketbooks instead of uh, allowing the Republicans to pit people against each other and hate on white folks, hating on white workers, hating on black folks, thinking that we're the ones that's taking something from them when it's in fact the corporations that are doing us all in. So that's kind of where we are. Yeah, I just noticed that uh, the Lieutenant Governor of Georgia said that Giuliani's false claims led uh, to, uh, was one of the reasons why they had that voting law passed because everybody knew Giuliani was a liar anyway. So they were just looking for a reason to, to reenact uh, the Jim Crow laws and that's exactly what they are, Jim Crow laws. I wanna uh, chime and see if my, my co-host Hayward Evans has a question or comment for you, Congressman. Yeah, Congressman Johnson, first I'm, I'm happy that you're here. Is there anything the Judiciary Committee, you sit on the Judiciary Committee, can the AG do anything? And what about the John Lewis bill? Can there be some kind of federal ballot access bill guaranteeing that people can have access to the polls? Because this voter suppression, this is very real. And I'm looking at how it can impact the 2022 elections. Mm -hmm. Well, now, H.R. 1, the For the People Act that passed through the House a couple of weeks ago, many of its provisions would stop what Georgia is trying to do in its tracks, although it wouldn't stop everything that Georgia is doing. But things like guaranteeing that there'll be a, a set number of days for early voting, uh, making sure that voting by mail is without uh, you know, without you having to have an excuse to vote, so voting by mail, in other words, is uh, open to everyone for whatever reason you want to vote for. That's included in H.R. 1. Things like <clears throat> automatic voter registration and same-day voting and Internet, uh, excuse me, same-day registration. So Internet registration, same-day registration, automatic registration, absentee uh, ballots uh, uh, without any excuse. Those kinds of uh, measures are included uh, in HR one. Uh, the, the the necessity for votes to be uh, to have <clears throat> to have a paper ballot, uh, making election day a national holiday. You know those kinds of things. Eliminating uh, gerrymandering and putting in place. A situation for uh, public financing of elections uh, so that we can start to get rid of this dark money, dark corporate money in politics. That's what HR1 would do. And we've passed that, and it needs to pass the Senate. And if the Senate um, uh, does something with the filibuster rule to enable a 50 vote margin 
for 51 votes to pass H.R. 1, it would go a long way uh, to um, taking some of the sting out of what the Republicans have done in Georgia. Now, H.R. 4, the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, uh, hasn't yet been introduced. That's because we're working on the coverage formula, which is what the Supreme Court gutted in Citizens United, excuse me, in uh, Shelby versus Holder back in 2013. Uh, the Supreme Court eviscerated the Voting Rights Act by taking away the preclearance provisions in Section 5 because the formula for who those preclearance provisions applied to, the Supreme Court said it was a flawed formula. Times had changed, no need for certain states that were covered under Section 5 to be covered under Section 5. And so now we're going back to uh, to correct, or not correct, but to remedy uh, what the Supreme Court said was wrong with the Voting Rights Act which still applies, by the way, but mm -hmm. we want to get states uh, to have to undergo that preclearance requirement. Uh, mm -hmm. So the coverage formula is what we're working on, and that should be done probably uh, later this month, next month. That will allow us to go ahead and file uh, H.R. 4 and uh, get it passed hopefully uh, before the end of this year. And that will uh, create a situation where the legislature, like Georgia just did, in covered states, would not be able to just come in and pass a law, and then that law becomes effective without Justice Department or court uh, pre-approval. And so, um, so we got to pass HR one in the Senate and get it signed by the president, and we got to pass. H.R. 4 in the House and Senate and get it signed by the president. And then we got to come forward with some other legislation to get at some of these other things that neither one of those, neither one of those laws apply to. Congressman Hank, uh, I guess to talk about your colleague on the judiciary, was it Matt Gates, uh, who made all these remarks and you had to correct him and arrest him? On, uh, on the committee, it was a televised. I got him at the post that on repost on my Facebook, but I was waiting for uh, the executive director of the Port of Seattle to join. I want you to at least to meet and say hello to uh, Mr. Steve Metric. And as, as I speak, he's standing by. So hold on one second, Carson. Uh, Steve Metric, right. are you online? Uh, yes, I am, Eddie. Good afternoon. Okay, I just wanted, I wanted uh, my friend, Congressman Hank Johnson out of Georgia to say hello to you. Uh, he was up here a few years ago for a uh, uh, a Congressional Black Caucus Political Action Committee, and we had uh, a dinner down right down on the waterfront. So that was right by the Port of Seattle's headquarters. So, uh, Congressman Johnson, this is our illustrious executive director of the Port of Seattle, the gateway to the Orient, uh, uh, Steve Metric. So I just want you to say hello to him and uh, look forward to you guys meeting in person one of these days. Yeah, yeah. Well, good good to uh, talk with you, Mr. Metzer, and I've uh, heard about and read about some of the great things you all are doing out there uh, at the Seattle port. And, uh, you know, we stand ready to um, help you with your uh, needs in terms of infrastructure during this uh, Biden administration. 
Yes, sir. I know that uh, I, it's just an honor. I'm just riveted here with all the rest of Eddie's listeners here to what you have to say and what you're doing, and I just want to thank you. And, and I know that uh, you're sitting over on uh, transportation infrastructure is fantastic. Yeah, we're going to get some work done this year and next year, and uh, it's time for a renewal of America, and starting with our courts. I mean, when our nation, uh, when our nation, uh, when the settlers landed uh, in Jamestown, Virginia, in 1607, the first thing they needed to do was to uh, be able to accommodate the large ships coming from uh, Great Britain. And uh, they had to establish some ports before they did anything else. They had to build uh, ports, and then they started moving inland with roads. Uh, they might have been, they wouldn't, weren't being paved at that point, but, uh, you know, ports are a fundamental in our global trading system that we are in and our global re economy. And so we got to take care of our ports, make sure that they can accommodate the the new vessels that are coming in, which have a lot more capacity than some of the older uh, older um, uh, vessels, and uh, all of the mechanization, the uh, uh, the high tech, uh, the computerization, and all of that. All of that needs to be done, and uh, so we stand ready. Well, that's good, Congressman, because we have a CBC member out of the 10th Congressional District that covers Tacoma and uh, the Puget, the South Puget Sound area by the name of Marilyn Strickland. She is a freshman on the uh, Transportation Infrastructure Committee, so make sure you support us while she supports the Port of Seattle and the Port of Tacoma. So thank you very much, sir. We really do appreciate you. And, and, and Congresswoman Strickland is making an a excellent mark on uh, Congress in just the, the last uh, four months that she's been there. She's going to be a, a great representative for your area. We certainly appreciate it. So, Congressman Hank Johnson, thank you very much. And keep it, keep them on us in Georgia. Thank you, sir. Y'all do the same. Okay, we're doing. You know, we're in Martin Luther King Jr. County now, right? Okay, uh, Steve, are you there? I am. Uh, okay, good. Okay, then now we can go ahead and go to the Port of Seattle. So, at least we were able to get you some congressional support on the call, sir. Yeah, yes. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little bit of feedback here, but you can hear me fine? Yeah, I can hear you, yes, go right ahead. So why don't you just yeah. go take a minute or two and just share a little bit about your background with our listeners so they know who you are. I mean, I've read a lot about you and I know who you are, but a lot of our listeners don't know the Steve metric that I know. So would you just take a couple of minutes and share a little bit about your background? Sure, thank you. And first, I want to say it's, a, it's an honor uh, uh, to be, especially after the sobering report from Congressman Johnson about what's going on there. So, But I really appreciate the time. I know you've been a great friend of the port and supporting what we're doing, and you and Hayward both. So I, I, I want to thank you for that. Yeah, my background here, um, you know, I've been now at the port. Sometimes it seems longer, but I've been here uh, just over three years now. I spent uh, 34 years uh, in the Coast Guard. Uh, in doing many different jobs, retiring as a rear admiral, uh, spending a lot of time in all different parts of the country. But when the op after I retired, I looked around to say, where would I like to settle my wife and I? And we were attracted back here to the Pacific Northwest uh, for all that it provides. But one of the big things for me that attracted me to apply to the Port of Seattle was the uh, as a, its role as a special purpose government. 
you know, it's not just the bottom line. It's trying to contribute to grow opportunities and to increase um, uh, increase sustainability of all that we do. So it's to maximize the positive things that we do and minimize the negative things. So that includes uh, contributing to the economy and uh, and drive being one of the major uh, driving engines of the economy, which is something that makes me very proud to be part of the port. Why don't you just kind of share with our listeners the condition of the port given this pandemic? We understand the cruise industry slows down. How much? How many jobs and how much money in terms of that this injection to company by the cruise industry? And now we know the airport's picking up somewhat, but give our, our listeners a, an overview of the conditions of, of the Port of Seattle in terms of uh, the, the, your normal activities. Sure. Yeah, in 2019, everything was, you know, like the rest of the economy, we were in the upward swing. You know, we were growing. We had uh, uh, approaching 60, uh, uh, 60 million passengers at the airport. We had 1.2 million uh, travelers on the cruise ship industry coming here. But then the pandemic obviously changed all of that. In 2020, it canceled the entire cruise ship season, which which puts about – $900 million into the local economy, and for us, it's a loss of about $26 million in revenue. Then on the aviation side, we're down 60%. As, uh, you know, we are recently, you know, we're on an upswing, but, uh, but we lost over uh, revenues of about $250 million, serious impact across the board. And then, um, and we're on the upswing now. But the big thing about uh, all these activities is not just what it means for the port, but what it means for the, the local economy as well. Uh, you know, out at the uh, out at SeaTac, there's eighty um, there's eighty seven thousand direct jobs connected to SeaTac, and nineteen thousand direct directly at the airport. And of course, we have a, all the large number of businesses that are dependent on that uh, that drives their businesses as well. So all of those were impacted. You know, we have a positive thing. Uh, you know, we're seeing new records now week after week, uh, and now spring break coming up um, for more travelers out at the airport. But So that's on the upswing of those impacts. But cruise season is still a doubtful. Um, last year we had 200 different port calls from cruise ships here, and that it was still continuing to work with the Centers for D- Disease Prevention and Control about what the future of cruise is going to have because – they still haven't figured out the way forward. But, you know, there's some fundamental things to remember about that is that it's not just operating the, operating crews. It's doing it safely so that the, the crews are safe, the passengers are safe, and, more, and just as importantly, the communities are safe as well. Well, I've worked with quite a few of, the, of your uh, folks out there like me and Rice, uh, uh, Louis Navarro, and then out at the airport, you have a good team of the Air- aviation manager, Lance Little, and the Absolutely. director of airport dining and retail, uh, Don Hunter, uh, as well as uh, Delmas Whitaker and my main man, Kenny Lyles. And I gave Kenny Lyles his first job when he was a teenager. <laughs> so <laughs> well, so we just, go way back. Talk- yeah, you were just talking. That's the all-star team across the board to do that. You know, Lance Little and his team with Don Hunter uh, driving uh, operation. You know, how to keep, I mean, one of the big things was how do we keep going during these tough times and developing measures for uh, for all the tenants and all those airport dining and retailers, getting them to survive in position to as the travelers come back. So, and then me and Rice uh, doing on our on our uh, diversity and contracting efforts has, has really been a driving force. Well, that's good to hear. You do have a team, a good team put together. As a matter of fact, me and as a matter of fact, me and has a uh, his commercial is on this station. But uh, Steve, what I want to do is that I would like to have you on, like. Uh, I'm, I'm a, what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to have uh, uh, Delmas and Kenny on 
Lance and Don. So we're going to have somebody from the porn on every month, although men's on every week with his, his promo for this uh, diversity and contracting office. So, uh, mm-hmm. but I, I, I appreciate your time today. And I, I, I know that Congressman Hank Johnson, I hope that was inspirational to you to Good know one. that uh, a, a local member of Congress, because, uh, you know, we know that uh, the Port of Seattle, Port Tacoma has an alliance and the Port of Tacoma is definitely uh, yeah, I think in uh, in Maryland Strickland's district, but that's a good report to hear back that she's uh, new on the uh, transportation infrastructure committee and is highly regarded by senior members already. So yeah, that's uh, really going to be a blessing for the Port of Seattle and for our region. So uh, I know we cut into your time a little bit, but I, I want to give you a couple more minutes. If there's anything else you'd like to comment on with the left out? Uh, no, I just appreciate the opportunity. And like you said, to get our to get our different programs and talk about those, we deeply appreciate that. And I know, and I also for all of us to hear the congressman talking about, he's, he's, he's up on it, on the importance of ports. That warms my heart to know about how important it is, the infrastructure picture, to hear that and along with the congresswoman um, and to take care of that business. Uh, Maryland Strickland going forward is going to be uh, great for us here, and including our existing delegation. Uh, going forward is is great things for us in the future. So, but, okay, uh, really but, but some of my, my former sponsors, uh, Concourse Concessions, SeaTac Bar Group LLC, and those guys said we're on we're on a, a terminal A, and uh, let folks know that we need some help. I said, well, I make sure I'll mention that because I want to make sure that Jerry Whitson and Rod O'Neill and David Fukuhara, Lance and Don have been fair with them, so I know that'll continue. But I want to mention that, that some of those guys are really hurting. But you mentioned that and acknowledged it earlier anyway. So you know what's going on because you're there every day. So we appreciate yeah, you, Steve Metric. Go right thank ahead. You. Oh, I was just going to say thank you, Eddie. And, yeah, for those that are traveling, coming up and you're traveling, make sure you uh, go to our businesses, the airport dining and retail businesses there. It keeps, keeps, uh, keeps the whole economy going and helps everyone. That's absolutely right. They hire a lot of people. Okay, Steve Metric, we appreciate your time today. We'll have you back on with a little bit more regularity with some more good news from the Port of Seattle. All right. Thank you, Eddie. Thank you. Okay. All right. Thank you. We're going to take a break and come back with Cindy Domingo after this. Thanks, Eric. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the Port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. 
Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Linklight Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Linklight Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Make us part of your daily routine. Alternative Talk, 1150. Uh, here with Evans Eddie right back at Urban Forum next Northwest. Our next guest is Cindy Domingo from Lilo, a legacy in leadership, equality, uh, no, equality, leadership, and organizing. Did I get it right? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. And uh, Cindy, we know you were with uh, Larry Gossett for a number of years, decades. Mm-hmm. From, the, from the Central Area Motivation Program down to the King County Council. And you were down there, What you guys were there for what, 20 plus years? 26 years. 26 years, okay. And then all this time, you've been involved with about five different other organizations. So yeah. I would like to have you just go ahead and talk about the one we mentioned first, which is Lilo, but mm-hmm. uh, you were involved with a lot of other organizations. So I'd like to have you just share a little bit about your background with our listening audience. Okay. Uh, yeah, I've been a resident of Seattle off and on since the early 1960s and have been involved in um, issues of um, employment, discrimination, uh, and Lilo was on the forefront of opening up the construction trades to uh, especially African-American uh, people who wanted to get into the trades as well as uh, women and also opened it up for Asian Americans and Native Americans. Uh, And uh, we currently have a relicensing program, which helps uh, predominantly African Americans, young African American males, to get their licenses back after they've been suspended. And um, I've been involved in all sorts of labor issues through the Asian Pacific American Labor Alliance and through my work with Councilmember Gossett, worked on policy issues that impacted immigrants and refugees, uh, young people who were involved in the um, criminal justice system and employment discrimination. So I've been around for quite a long time and have uh, worked in various communities um, uh, cross-organizing on a number of issues, Eddie. And I noticed on the Facebook post uh, that relicensing program you said that the city withdrew the contract from Lilo. Uh, it seems to me there's a, a, enough uh, problems to go around to, to fund quite a few organizations. Right. I mean, I, I think that, you know, oftentimes, um, you know, relicensing, uh, when people lose their licenses, it's very difficult sometimes to have them taken away. And especially in the African-American community, where, where especially black males, are tracked by police, uh, they have a higher rate of losing their licenses and have difficulties in getting it back. So Lilo uh, was on the forefront again over 20 years ago in fighting for uh, programs to get people's licenses back. And combined with our work in the construction trades, we knew because you need a license to get a job in the construction trades that the license issue was absolutely essential for people who wanted to get jobs in there, and they're high-paying jobs, consistent jobs. And uh, so the the city decided to uh, 
reorganized their um, relicensing program in regards to construction trades and uh, gave our contract to uh, another organization that, you know, probably does also very good work in helping people in the trades get their licenses back. But that's always the thing. You take away from one organization to give to another organization when there should be enough, when there are thousands of people who need to get their licenses back, who've lost their licenses. Why can't you continue to fund those that have been doing the work for decades? And that's our our big concern over losing our contract and doing it so uh, quickly in which uh, we had... Uh, constituents who had been waiting and had been working with us to get their licenses, we were expected to just drop them without any more help. But Lilo doesn't do that to, to our to our people. We continue to help them even though we don't get paid to help them. Well, that's a commitment that I know the people that started Lilo, and I know it's a commitment they've had forever. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just unfortunate because, you know, uh, we need to have programs located in various parts of, of the city and the county, and it's really unfortunate. And actually, what I would really like to see Lilo do is to, uh, to go down a little further south uh, in the Renton Federal Way area, where especially where most of our black folks are. And right. uh, that's something I would I would not mind talking to uh, the uh, county the county council members or Dow Constantine about. Mm-hmm. You know, he was just on doing an opening on our, the April Fourth MLK event we had. Uh, last Sunday. And uh, so I think that uh, I, I would really like to see Lilo submit an unsolicited proposal to Constantine to establish that program in South County. Well, it's needed. We do, it's needed. Yeah, right. We do have a very small program and it's limited in terms of who can access it. But as you're saying, Eddie, the demand uh, has grown even more and we could expand relicensing much more to the South where the black community is, and uh, be serving more people if we had more money. Relicensing has not um, historically, you know, there was an initial period in which Councilmember Gossett and Lisa Dugard, who many of you know, helped start the relicensing programs. But, you know, as many programs happen sometimes, is they stagnate, they serve less and less people, and when, when we need to expand the program, I mean, people can take public transportation, but oftentimes when you have to go pick up children, you have to buy groceries, you have to go to work, you have to be home at a certain time, you do need a license. Everybody needs to have that option, not just, you know, middle class and rich people, but poor people do too. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the other thing we got to really keep an eye on, and I've been talking to a lot of my API friends Growing up in Seattle, I grew up with Filipinos, Japanese, Chinese. Uh, when, uh, on 30th Avenue, I lived uh, right next door to my, uh, uh, the Maeda family, and right behind me was the Carosa family. My wife and older sister babysat Ruth Ann all the way down to uh, to uh, Marie, and about about that time they moved down to 37th. Uh, but we definitely want to keep a focus on this uh, uh, API hate that's going on around here. And I must say that that one black guy that attacked that uh, lady that was on highly publicized. Mm-hmm. That man had stabbed his mother to death. There was no reason in the world for him to even be out of jail. Okay, I just want to make, make that clarification. So uh, in my neighborhood, I, a Filipino family lives next door, Japanese family lives across the street, 
and they both know that me and my four brothers around here all can shoot real straight, got their back. We will call the police, but we're not going to tolerate uh, nobody being aggressive and, and no, we're not tolerating no hate. We have a few folks running around the south end of Seattle that have these uh, pickup trucks with the Confederate flag decal on, the, on their back window. Okay, so every now and then they get to drive around here primarily because I think this is Angela T. Rise uh, voting residence. So anyway, <laughs> Cynthia, Cindy Domingo, mm -hmm. thank you very much. We'll have you back on real soon. If you got something coming up, please let me know because this is this is a platform that is available to you whenever you need it because I know you work on behalf of the people. So thank you very much today. And I will let you know that your, your late brother, Silmi, my co-host Hayward Evans, were two of the beavers of color back in the... <laughs> Hayward, he had to bus from, West, from, from High Point to Ballard. So yeah. he, he, well, he was one of the two... Well, Eddie, okay. I, just want, I, I just want you to know that you are the epitome of people who understand the importance of cross-community organizing. You grew up with people of color from all different sectors, and you know the importance of how we can't be divided. So I want to always thank you for your work. You've always been there for the Asian community. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Cindy. Appreciate you. And okay. like I said, come back whenever you want to. Okay. Thank okay. you, Eddie. Have a good day. Okay. Bye. My next guest, I was just talking about his family. That's Paul Carosa, who was a, a community college educator and a civil rights advocate. And uh, he's part of that famous Carosa family. So, Paul, how you doing? I'm doing well. Okay, Thank here, whatever's my co-host is on the line with me here. So, uh, we talked about Cindy. She was talking about some healing things, like getting license back. But I, I know that uh, you've been outspoken for a long time against insensitivity and racism. And I just wanted to, first of all, let people know a couple of minutes who you are, a little bit about your background, and then let's go to the, the issue of uh, Asian hate, API hate. Okay. Well, thank you for having me on, and um, you've always been. Thank you for always having uh, been there for our family, for our community, our common community. Um, I'm Paul Carose. I grew up here in Seattle, Washington, in the Central District. Uh, my parents, born and raised in the Central District, and me and all my siblings, Hugo, Rusan, Guy, Raleigh, me, and my younger sister, Marie, all born and raised here, and uh, been part of this community for life. Um, and growing up in this community, that was just, you know, what you're talking about now is just something that was part of life, uh, standing up against racism as a community. And you know, for me personally, what that meant is once I went on and got my college education, I followed in my mom, mom's footsteps and became a teacher. So I taught in Oakland, California, high school in Oakland, California for 12 years. Actually just came across a couple of former students of mine from almost 30 years ago. Um, one, one is a Vietnamese-American um, immigrant. She's now a president of a college. And one was a first-generation college student from Hawaii who I worked with with the Upward Bound program, and she's now directing the Upward Bound program down in Berkeley. So that's uh, and now then I returned back to Seattle, and I've been teaching here for a number of years. Okay, I want to let people know that uh, Paul Carosa's mother's name. Her name is Aki Carosa. That's yeah. what you said. Your mother, but I want to make sure everybody know that we're talking about. 
the famous Aki Carosa, okay, that has a school name for her on, um, is it on Graham? Aki Carosa's yeah, school? Right. right, okay, yeah, okay. So, Hayward, do you have a question or comment from my friend Paul Carosa? Hey, Paul, you know, first, I'm glad that you're here. You know, he, uh, Paul went to school with my brother Stan. <laughs> oh, wow. Small world. Yeah, small world. You know, and we, and we truly, you know, I truly miss Guy, to be quite honest. And every time I think about this, this uh, anti-Asian, this hatred, this violence is going on, it brings back memories. I look at Al Sukiyama and Larry Taylor. We're talking Bailey Gasser from, from elementary school through both of them, God rest their soul, passing. Best of friends. The, the history and the relationship between the Asian and Black community goes back to the 1800s in Seattle. And even when the Japanese community was founded down there in, off of Main Street in what we now call the ID, the only reason why the Japanese community isn't very powerful here as it was, was because of World War II when he signed that bill and they removed the Japanese. I just wanted to throw that out there. But people of Asian descent and African-Americans have always been working, always have been working together. But now what, what about you? Because you also taught my son, I think, Matthew Franklin. <laughs> yeah, that's so, right. It is a small world. Small Seattle. Small world. <laughs> but, but, but where are you teaching now? And then what are your plans for the future? Well, I'm currently teaching at North Seattle College and I'm also teaching part-time at Seattle U. Um, and my plans for the future are to continue doing what I'm doing to try and make a difference for as long as I can continue to do that. Um, I do want to to jump in on the point you just made, Hayward, about um, the relationships of the African-American and Asian-American communities. And it's kind of like what Eddie and uh, Cindy were just saying a short while ago, people too often talk about those communities as being separate communities. But we know growing up here in Seattle how we have been one community. I mean, I go to Asian American community events and I see Eddie and you there as much as I see anybody else. And so you guys have always been part of this community here that goes beyond just an Asian American community. You know, you guys have worked with, you know, Ruthann was working with Eddie at the trio office up on 34th and guy was across the street with uh, Aaron Dixon in the black Panther with the Panthers. Office. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so Matter of fact, the Seattle, Seattle chapter of the Panthers had uh, uh, Mike Tagawa and Guy Carosa were members of the Seattle Black Panther Party. That's right. And, that and I, offered, I offered Guy the job first, and Guy said, oh, no, man, I don't have that kind of patience. You got to get Ruth Ann. She's a better organizer. <laughs> and then that was the best recommendation he ever could have gave me because Ruth Ann, you know, was outstanding. But go, go ahead, Paul. I was just going to say, Ruthann had to have a lot of patience with Guy for her younger brother. So, but um, <laughs> but I, I think, you know, what you know, you guys have been saying and what I'm trying to add on to is really important because some people are seeing some of these incidents taking place and seeing, you know, the perpetrators of some of these acts being African-American against Asian-Americans. And they want to, you know, and those who are really responsible, like seeing that happen, you know, seeing these individuals and like trying to point it as, point out to it being something between these communities of color. But, mm -hmm. you know, 
that that's kind of always the way it's been is victims of racism frequently it's kind of the nature of it is you know you're thrown down there together and that's where a lot of um conflict comes out but it's only because we're both victims of the racism that exists in our society and we got to not get caught up into um being fooled by that yeah well you know uh that's one of the things we're very outspoken about in uh the Martin Luther King Commemoration Committee and the Martin Luther King uh, Organizing Coalition has always been about uh, inclusion and uh, adhering to uh, Dr. King's principles about the big tent and having everybody at the table. And uh, so for since the what the 50s and 60s, where I, your family go back, and we all lived in the same neighborhood. That was the way it was. As a matter of fact, the Jewish families had to live in that neighborhood too because that was before they could move to Versailles Island or to Seward Park, because uh, uh, I think Seward Park was pretty much an Italian, uh, upscale Italian resident. But, uh, Paul, I want to thank you very much for your time today. And if there's anything you'd like to say before you leave, if there's any event coming up, or if anybody can tune in somewhere to get educated about this uh, anti-Asian uh, violence and hate, let me know. And if anybody in the listening audience has any ideas about how we can all come together in the spirit of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., that we live in his county. This is Martin Luther King Jr. County. We have to be different than everybody else. We should live up to his ideals. So, Paul, is there anything you'd like to say? Um, no, I'd just like to thank you. You've always had our backs. And I think a lot of the young people today who are doing a lot of the organizing, we just need to continue to let them know that we have their backs as well. So thank you very much for inviting me today and for always having been out there um, making a difference as you have. Okay, Paul. Thank you very much, brother. All right. Good talking to you guys. Hope to see okay. you soon. All right. See you soon, man. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and come back with Claude Burke, the first vice president of the Seattle King County branch of the NAACP. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org 
and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Alternative Talk 1150, here to uplift your day. Hey, whatever's any right back here before Northwestern, our last guest, Mr. Claude Burphy. He's the first vice president of the Seattle King County branch of the NAACP. And they have a big event coming up on uh, uh, Sunday from 6 to 7.30. Was it Saturday, 6 to 7.30? Claude Burphy, uh, please correct me. Yeah. Saturday from 6 to 7.30. Uh, give our yeah. folks the details. It's a legislative uh, forum. Yes, it is. Uh, what is uh, what it is, Eddie, is that it's uh, the Seattle King County NWCP is putting on its first uh, legislative town hall this Saturday, uh, April 10th, from 6 to 7.30 p.m. And the theme of this event is politics making a difference in our community. And as you know, this is the first event of this kind put on by the Seattle King County NAACP this year. And we do anticipate more political webinars in the future. Um, this legislative town hall, uh, the speakers that we are going to be having is uh, Senator uh Rebecca Saldana of the 37th legislative district uh Kirsten Harris Talley of the 37th representative Thurston uh uh Kirsten Harris Talley um and she is a freshman uh representative who has replaced longtime representative Eric Pettigrew and we uh, also have in Gurmai Zahale, which is King County Councilman from District 2. And as you know, uh, he is also a freshman, and he has replaced another longtime legend, Larry Gossett. Uh, the purpose of this town hall is to let our speakers inform the community on what is happening in Olympia, and in King County that may have an impact on the 37th and, uh, district and King County. Um, and I just want to give a little shout out to our moderator, which is Stephon Thomas. Uh, he will be moderating this event. And one of the things that uh, uh, he will be asking a couple of questions uh, to each of the uh, guest speakers, and we will open it up for uh, uh, the audience, the community, to ask whatever questions they want to ask. And any, uh, any question, uh, whatever question you ask is always going to be a good question. So uh, we how, how, can also, people, how can people see it, uh, Mr. Vice President? How can, before we run out of time, how can people actually view this Saturday from 6 to 7.30 Legislative Town Hall? Uh, we have this, uh, uh, um, flyer that, uh, we have put out, uh, it's on Facebook. You can also go to, uh, seattlekingcounty.org on the website and, uh, you will be able to follow, uh, be able to get on that event, uh, once you, uh, um, go into seattlekingcounty.org, uh, the website. 
and it it will give you all of the information that you need to get on to this uh, webinar. Well, uh, Mr. Verse, Mr. First Vice President, Clyde Murphy, thank you very much for informing our listeners of what's happening and what to be checking out on Saturday from 6 to 7.30. And keep the information coming to Haywood and I. We'll make sure that, that our listening audience is informed. So thank you very much, sir. We appreciate you. No problem. No problem. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. All right, now. Okay, okay as everybody know, uh, last uh, Friday, last Sunday, was April 4th, it was the 53rd uh, anniversary of the assassination of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And uh, uh, the MLKCC, the Commemoration Committee, put together an event which was live streamed uh, by Converge Media, Omari, Salisbury, Carlos Amani. I wanna thank you guys very much. And there were some other people that stepped up to the plate that made sure this event came off. And I want to make sure that we took some time to thank them today for what they were able to do for us and just to give you an idea, and I want to make sure these people understand we do appreciate uh, the Seattle Fire Department. That's Chief Harold Stoggins. But we want to thank Helen Fitzpatrick for really getting the, the, the ball rolling and taking care of business. Uh, Seattle City Light Black Employees President Lawrence Bigham. Thank you very much, Lawrence. The Seattle Public Utilities, Tooch Mom and uh, Anita White, Lady A, got us to her. And they stepped up to the plate. Seattle Person Construction Services with Liz Alzier and Leslie Jones at Sound Transit. Uh, we also were supported by Sound Transit Board President Kent Kill and Sound Transit Board President Ed Prince. And as you know, a Sound Transit Board member, Tacoma Mayor Victoria Wooders was one of our honorees. Uh, the Port of Seattle, uh, Steve Metric, who was on the air, and we want to thank Mike Metric, Mike Merritt, for his assistance. Seattle Port Commissioner Peter Steinbrook for uh, getting the Port Commission on, on board. And Seattle Seahawks, Mike Blood and Russell Wilson, want to thank y'all. And uh, Mike, Martin Luther King Jr. County, uh, if you look at the, vi uh, the, uh, the video of the event, you'll see that County Executive Dow Constantine did an opening statement. We want to thank uh, Michael Padilla Campo uh, for his assistance and Kali out of uh, the County Executive's office, even though she's on maternity leave, she helped us out. So this is, Hayward, uh, I thought we had a pretty good event looking for, make sure you go to the seattlemlkcc.org website. The entire program from April 4th is on there, as well as there's information about being able to volunteer. There's also a phone number as well, an actual email address. <clears throat> but we wanna make sure that we're geared up for the next event, which will be August 28th. Uh, so we got a little time, a lot of things happen between now and then. But anyway, this has been Eddie Ryan Hayward Evans with another edition of Urban Forum Northwest. Thank you very much, Eric. And we'll talk at you again next Thursday.